You're listening to The Jazz Session with Jason Crane. Since 2007, the original jazz interview podcast. Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. This is episode 548 for March 10th, 2021. On today's show, violinist Sarah Caswell. This show exists because listeners become members. You can become one today for five or ten dollars a month at thejazzsession.com/join. Thanks so much to Eugene for becoming the most recent member. Do me a favor, would you, and share this podcast on your own social media or with just a friend of yours who you think might dig it. That's the best way to spread the word about this show. Just a tweet about the jazz session, a Facebook post, an Instagram post, whatever works for you. It really, really makes a difference. Thanks. Sarah Caswell has played violin on so many different albums in recent years. We'll hear a bunch of those during the interview. But let's start off with one of Sarah's own projects and a track called Receipt, Please. Sarah Caswell, welcome to the Jazz Session. Oh, thanks so much for having me. It is my pleasure. I was looking through my archive a couple of weeks back and thinking, uh, I wonder if it's time for Sarah Caswell to come on the show again. So I looked to see when was the last time you had been on the show, and I realized that in the whole 14 years, you'd been on a total of zero times, uh, which seemed like (laughs) an egregious oversight on my part, because I have really enjoyed your music for years and years, and I just assumed you must have been on a couple times by now. So I'm finally correcting that, and I'm so happy to have you here. Um, oh, it's great to be talking with you. It's awesome. <laughs> when I was looking through the archives, I you can on the jazz session you can search by last name, but you you can also just go to all the people who play the same instrument, and it will pop up a list of them. So I looked to see just how just to see what my own biases are. I looked to see how many violinists there have been, and this is almost episode five hundred and fifty, and you'll be the third violinist who's ever been on the show. So I clearly have oh my gosh. a big problem <laughs> when it comes to booking people who play the violin. <laughs> I mean, there's been like 200 saxophone players. I mean, of course, right? They're everywhere. Oh but my gosh. but yeah. still, yeah. three is a really, really bad record for booking violinists. No, it's okay. You know, it's, it's one of these things where um, I think for a number of reasons, violin and, and strings, aside from the bass, um, just maybe haven't gotten as much attention in, in the jazz world. Um, in re- that's been changing in recent years, um, but uh, certainly when I was growing up, there wasn't as much um, yeah, just much focus and much uh, spotlight placed on, on those violin players who were really making a mark in the music. So, um, yeah, but there, it's been really amazing to watch just in the last 10, 15 years how many new voices are, are finding, finding a platform and being able to perform and getting the, the attention they, they deserve through their artistry. 
Well, that sets up a question, which is, uh, given that when you were coming up, improvising on the violin, other than, I guess, maybe in cadenzas and classical music or something, but improvising was not the main thing the violin was used for or the main way it was taught in school programs. How did you get interested in improvising on your instrument? Well, it's interesting. Um, I was actually exposed to, um, to improvisation fairly early on. Um, so my, my parents are both musicologists, music historians, and uh, they made a point um, in the household to just have a lot of uh, music playing from a wide variety of sources, um, you know, music from all over the world. And so having that exposure early on um, really kind of opened my ears to all kinds of possibilities as far as what music I might play. Um, when it came down to instruction, um, you know, they, my mom started me on Suzuki, which is a very tr- traditional way of, of uh, learning the violin. And that, that method is largely based on developing one's ear. And so, um, you know, not re- relying so much on written music and having that be what you, um, what dictates what you do. The idea of really opening your ears up to hearing all around, what's all, all around you and, and kind of picking up on that. So I started doing that method when I was about five. And then I think it was about three years later, uh, she signed us up for um, both jazz lessons and broke uh, violin lessons. And it, it was one of these situations where um, the teachers she contacted uh, were good friends of ours. Um, they were all on faculty at Indiana University, which is where my dad was teaching. And um, so they were family friends, and they were really uh, stoked about the idea of, of giving me lessons in, in those particular styles. Um, what's great about Baroque music is that even though it's you know, this is music two, you know, three, 300 years ago or so, the music was primarily an improvisatory-based music. Um, it, you know, they had, the, they had a primary melody, um, but the, um, the embellishments that the soloists would make were, um, were essential in the performance practice of that, of that music. So pretty early on, I was getting introduced to the idea of improvising in more of a classical format. And then I was also doing improvisations um, through my jazz lessons uh, with David Baker. And, you know, when you're exposed to music that young, you're not really thinking about the rules or, um, you know, just sort of the boundaries that are there. You're just, they're more like games that you're playing. And, you know, when there's, when someone's saying, make something up on this melody, it's, you know, it, it's not as scary as it is fun. And um, so that was a really, uh, an amazing way. I'm really grateful to my parents for having gotten us started on, on, these different styles of music so young because there weren't as many mental uh, psychological barriers. It was really just me having a chance to to play violin in, in, a, in a few different mediums and just enjoying you know, just the play that came along with that. Thank you. 
such an exciting way to come up. I mean, as a, especially as a young kid, I, regular listeners to this show are now about to say this next thing with me because I've said it so many times that it's like a catchphrase. But I always believe that all kids know how to improvise and they're kind of forcibly untaught out how to do that by the way you know instruction usually goes in school and then they have to relearn again if they want to play music with improvisation in it and it sounds like i mean you as a very young child avoided having those boundaries placed on you which i mean feels that feels like a really liberating way to approach an instrument even at a young age and even if you don't know that there is another possible option it just seems like it must be a very free feeling way to to learn yeah, it was. I mean, the, the funny thing is, I mean, I, I was aware of boundaries. Um, you know, there were certainly like sort of the, the roads we were to follow and, and how to stay on the road, like, you know, with imp- improvising, like kind of having a, a harmonic roadmap to follow. And and with um, the Baroque melodies, really staying close to the melody, but finding uh, room for variation around them. So I think it was the idea that uh, finding freedom within the structure that you're in, um, that it's not just what's on the page or what you know, the rules that you're being dictated to follow. It's, you know, here's, here's kind of the lay of the land and, um, you know, there, but there's room for your personality. There's room for your expression in there. Um, just, you know, just because there's a road to follow doesn't mean that you aren't going to have an opportunity to explore it and um, to kind of, yeah, just really get your own perspective and your own experience of, of that journey. So, yeah, it was, it was really, an amazing way to, to be introduced to music Um and I, yeah, like I guess I'm, I'm really grateful to my parents for, for having uh, had that uh, perception and um, that, you know, that vision about, you know, making sure that we were exposed to a lot of different music. So even with musicologists for parents and being associated with Indiana University, where, you know, there's great people like David Baker, uh, you know, who in many ways really re- revolutionized the teaching of jazz in this country. Um, I'm curious about when you... At what age did you start looking ahead and thinking, oh, this might be just more than a thing that I enjoy doing. This might be the thing that I actually do. Yeah, that was a long journey. Um, I mean, I knew I I wanted to play music from the get-go. I remember uh, vividly the experience of going to the violin shop when I was five, picking up the fiddle. Um, I remember the dress I was wearing. I remember the car ride home. Um, I remember picking up the instrument out of the case and and putting it, um, well, I was just, trying to imitate the pictures I'd seen of people playing violin. So I kind of tucked the violin awkwardly under my, my chin. And, um, and I, I picked up the bow kind of like in a fist, <laughs> just really clumsily. But, um, and I played um, two A's and two E's and I got really excited because I, you know, I recognized that those were the first four notes of Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. <laughs> and then I immediately got really frustrated because I couldn't figure out how to play the rest of the, no- of the song. <laughs> so, so I was, I was kind of hooked from that from that point forward. Um, so I knew I knew that I really wanted to do music for all of my life. And the other funny thing to think about too is that as a kid I was super shy and just was yeah terrified to talk with people. And like once I trusted them, then I was like you know chatty and giving them hugs all the time and all that. But as it, you know, in my initial um, way of, re- of relating to the world was just very um, very introverted. And the, and music was the one place where I really felt free and felt myself and could really just um, kind of you know, just be myself, really. And uh, so I knew, knew that violin was going to be a part of my life in some capacity from that early, early time. Um, when I guess I was doing the three styles of music up until I guess it was middle school. 
And uh, at that point, um, the Baroque lessons kind of uh, faded, uh, faded, faded out of the picture. And uh, I really was pursuing um, classical and jazz equally. Um, so I was doing a lot of classical competitions, regional, national, international kind of stuff. And then I was doing a lot of jazz work with David and, um, you know, taking lessons and doing some gigs and, and uh, you know, just playing with a couple of different uh, groups with my peers. Um, and I, you know, both of those were really feeding um, the musical interests that I had. Uh, at the time, when it came to decide where to do my um, my college degree, um, I wanted to do. I didn't want to make a decision then. I wasn't ready to make a decision between each style. And I, the thing also was, I didn't. I didn't necessarily want to be forced to make one. I was still trying to figure out how to um, to bring those styles of music together. Um, yeah, it's you know they were, my my study of them was very segregated, and uh, and I knew I loved them both, so I just I didn't want to have to ch- choose one over the other, and ultimately the the hope was that somehow they would come together in in some capacity. Um, so I decided that you know I, I wanted to double major, and there were very few schools uh, at the time that had. Uh, that available to me. Um, most schools made you to p- choose between one style or the other, or if you could double major, the programs weren't of equal strength. You know, there were there were a lot of um, issues that kind of popped up with with this. So I was really fortunate that one of the only schools that allowed a double major that had great uh, great departments in each style uh, just happened to be in the same college where I was, you know, in the same <laughs> town where I was born and raised, and you know. And where my teachers were located, so it was really pretty ideal. Uh, so I guess it was during that time, especially during college, I was doing both um, both degrees and, and studying both styles of music. And it was toward the end of that um, that four year period. Um, I guess I did an under yeah undergrad, and I did an artist diploma, which is a two year performance degree. And so it was over the course of six years that um, I really kind of felt this pull toward. Um, pursuing more jazz opportunities. Um, and I think some of it was, you know, I was doing a lot of competitions and, you know, what I was noticing that was the, the nature of, the, of a lot of classical competitions, this is certainly across the board, but the nature of a lot of those competitions is very, it can be uh, very perfection driven. At least that's how you end up preparing for it. Um, it's, I don't think it's at least the intent of the competitions at all. I think but you, as, the, as the competitor, you are, you're just aiming for as much perfection as possible intonation, um, you know, stylistic interpretation, all these things, you're you're just trying to put your best self forward. And I could really feel how toxic that was becoming for me. Um, and I just, I, I was, I wasn't enjoying the music as much. I was counting the number of mistakes that was making. And, um, I, I just didn't feel like it was a healthy perspective to have on music. Um, so I, and I just, I, I was feeling so liberated by the, um, the explorations I was doing with the jazz material, but that just really felt like it was more, uh, it was more me. Um, but it was, you know, I have no regrets and I, and, you know, classical music is, is such an important part of my, um, my love for music and the way I, pref- you know, the way I, I uh, approach my instrument and the way I approach, approach improvisation you know, it's. I love playing that rep. It's it's a thrill, and I think now I enjoy playing it more because I'm not so um, fixated on uh, on the perfection aspect of it. Um, you know, it, it's more me enjoying the repertoire for what it is, and that's kind of like the ideal uh, place for me to be anywhere with that stuff right now. 
Yeah, and it it has led to. I mean, your 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 bio is almost like hilarious because of the number of things that don't seem to go together that are in it. You know, like the <laughs> the three classic B's of jazz: Brad Meldow, Bucky Pizzarelli, and Bruce Springsteen, for example. Or you know, the, the fact that all those people are in there, but you know, so are um, things like uh, chamber music. You know, soloing with pops orchestras, uh, playing the kind of music that Mark O'Connor has been making for years. I mean, there's there's just such a breadth to what you've been doing that, I mean, first of all, it certainly speaks well of you as a player that everyone seems to want you to play with them. And also, though, it, it's it seems like there's only two ways to make that succeed. One is to be a chameleon who will just fit into whatever context but not have a distinct personality. And the other is to develop a distinct personality and have that be the reason you get hired. And obviously I have listened to enough of your playing to know that you followed the second route. Um, but it seems like that's probably not easy um, to like stick to your guns. I don't mean like you know not to serve the music, obviously you're doing that, but to really continue to be you in all yeah. of those disparate settings. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing to to talk about and to think about. I mean, I, cause I definitely feel like I have my sound, like, you know, I, I, I mean, I know what I'm listening for when I'm practicing. It's like, am I, am I producing that kind of tone that I want or when I'm, when I'm in the recording studio and I'm playing and, um, you know, listening back to, to things, I'm, I'm definitely, too, I'm, I'm checking in to see if like, if I'm sounding the way I know I want to sound. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, of course, when I'm when I'm collaborating with musicians, I want to I want to I want to realize what they're wanting, but I I think you know they're hiring you because there's certain aspects of your playing that they like and they 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 know you that they know you can produce in, in the way that you you play, and um, so I trust that they're hiring me for that reason and that yes I, of course I want to I want to do what I can to make the music sound the way they want to, but they also know in a way what they're gonna get. Um, like at least kind of the, the general style of what they're, they're going to get. I, but I'm, that, that said, I'm always open to learning and growing and expanding. And, and when those gigs come along, every, every gig I kind of treat as an opportunity to grow and like, you know, another inch or, or, or just, you know, find more avenues to explore music making. You know, I never kind of like, I, I'm not one who puts blinders on and says, okay, this is how I play, like it or not. Like that's what you get. Like, I, when somebody hires me, I, I want to get the music ahead of time. I want to explore it. I want to study it. I want to grow. I want to learn and, um, you know, see how that music is going to affect who I am as a player and, 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 you know, just kind of see how that will, will change me. So it's, I'm not going full scale chameleon, but I, but I certainly, I want to grow and I want to expand and I want to, um, I think that idea of chamber music is what enables those sorts of opportunities to arise. And I love that, you know, I love the idea of collaboration and, and um, knowing that you're going to be a slightly different player at the end of the game than you were at the beginning. And that to me is a really uh, thrilling experience to have as a musician when you're doing that for your entire life. Uh, so that we don't uh, create any discomfort at Thanksgiving, I want to make sure that we mention that you've also uh, made a lot of music with your sister, um, oh, yes. as we've mentioned, <laughs> both your mom and your dad. Uh, and that always seems to me like a pretty lucky arrangement when a family has more oh, than one musician me. in it. Yeah. So tell me about that. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Um, I, I adore making music with my sister. Um 
you know, we've been making music with each other since we were little kids. You know, mom started us on um, string instruments. So I was playing violin and Rachel was playing cello. And, and what's the age mom difference was at the piano. Between? Uh, three and a half years. Okay. So Rachel's a little older than me. Um, so, yeah, so we started playing chamber music right away. My mom would find all these, like she'd go over to the music library and would find all these really amazing little pieces that were within our skill set. You know, and she'd play the piano and we'd just play through these things. And, you know, even as beginners, it was it was so much fun to be able to, to share that experience with each other. I loved it. And that kind of carried on through, well, it's carried through for our entire lives. You know, um, now it's a different, I guess, different stylistic medium. And now Rachel's singing instead of playing cello. But that bond is so strong. And, and that joy that we have is, is so strong. And, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, um, you find this with twins, like they're able to kind of complete each other's sentences and sort of they end up doing a lot of the same things because they're just, you know, the same, the same blood. And Rachel and I, that happens for so many times. We're like, we're kind of riffing out at the end of a tune and like we'll end up basically kind of doing like the same line or the same lick. It's like, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and we just look at each other and we're laughing because it's just like, yep, we're sisters. <laughs> But it's it's a joy, you know. She's such an incredible singer, and um, you know the, the downside is that we're we don't live in the same town anymore. Um, I'm in in Brooklyn, and she's in in Bloomington, Indiana, where we where we grew up. But thank well, and then I've, that's made COVID a challenge too, because ordinarily we'd like we fly out to our gigs, like you know we had had a tour booked, and we do those 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 concerts together. Or she'll she'll fly out to New York to visit, or I'll fly out to Bloomington, and we'll do some work together. We haven't been able to do that for a year. It's just been so hard. <laughs> um, but we'll we'll get back to it, and I can't wait for that moment because it's, it's just you know, yeah, it's just gonna feel great. Can't wait. Let's take a quick break from the interview to talk about membership. The Jazz Session recently passed its 14th anniversary just a couple weeks ago. My life has changed so much over the course of those 14 years, it's almost hard for me to comprehend and absolutely impossible for me to describe. But one thing that has remained consistent through all that time is that I've been bringing you interviews with improvising musicians. Help me keep doing that. It's super easy. Just go to thejazzsession.com slash join. Thejazzsession.com slash join. When you get there, you'll have either the $5 or $10 a month membership level to choose from. At 5 bucks a month, you get an extra track every single week called Track of the Week. This is where uh, an artist talks about one of the tracks from one of their recent recordings, and you hear them talk about it, then you hear the song in question. At the $10 level, you get that, plus you get a monthly grab bag bonus episode that could be just about anything and often has super cool people on it who you won't hear in the main show. So please go to thejazzsession.com slash join today and become a member. Help me keep doing this for another 14 years. Thanks.
Uh, because you mentioned the inescapable beast that is everywhere these days, we'll we'll talk a bit about the pandemic. And I'm just curious, what what is it meant for you as a musician? How have you had to adapt? Uh, you know, there's the obvious stuff of tours being canceled and that kind of thing. But how have you managed to continue your life as a musician, even though it's not really possible to go anywhere and perform? Yeah, it's been hard <laughs> for everybody. You know, I think everybody's experience of this has been... Um, it has been a challenge in its own way. Um, you know, we're all in the same boat in that way together. Uh, yeah, you know, um, I've, I've done my best to, um, to play every day and to, um, you know, uh, make sure that I'm, I'm just connecting with my instrument in a physical way and, and, just, and, and almost in a spiritual way, you know, cause the, you know, in so many ways, the violin is my my primary voice, like my my speaking voice, my like the voice that I feel the most comfortable, um, you know, using for communication. And so, yeah, the COVID, in, in a way, has been sort of like a uh, silencing of that, and it's that's been really hard. Um, so, playing the violin every day, making sure that I'm I'm just um, having that physical and musical connection with it has been really vital. Um, you know, I've been teaching a lot. Uh, through school that I'm on faculty at Berkeley College of Music, um, Manhattan School of Music and New School. And I've got some, some private students as well. And having that chance to, to connect with people, even if it's on Zoom, <laughs> has been a really, uh, really an amazing experience. And the, the students, I mean, as, as I'm sure many, many of your guests have said, you know, I learned just as much from the students as, as they hopefully <laughs> learn from me. And um, so that's been something that's really kept that um, that musical um, excitement alive. Um, it's also been a really great opportunity for me to connect even at a deeper level with uh, my musician colleagues. Um, I mean, most of these people that I play music with, like on a regular basis, they're my family, like my musical family. And not being able to see them on a regular basis and to play with them and to travel with them has been has been difficult. So I think this in a way has been a chance for us to just to check in on each other as family members do and, you know, set up happy hour hangs on Zoom and, and um, text each other regularly and and just you know, be honest about the hardships that we're facing, you know, like, yeah, today sucked. Uh, you know, I, just, I couldn't pick up my instrument because it was just too, too difficult. Or, yeah, I had an amazing practice. And, like, I finally was able to get through and like, on this idea and like really nail it and get it in, into my fingers, you know, so kind of experiencing those things together has, um, uh, has been a way that we've kind of bonded in, uh, in a much more profound way. You know, it's, it's yeah, it's, in some ways, I think I, I'm, I've never had a doubt about my desire to be a musician. But I think when you have something like performance taken away from you, it in in my case, it really reaffirmed how much I have to do this because I I how sad I was at various points during the time, like not being able to do that. So it's in a way just further solidified for me the the fact that this is what I need to be doing in my life. You know, this is my family. I miss my family, my musical family. I miss my, I miss playing the gigs. I miss the touring. And um, I'm never going to take that for granted when I come back. And I'm I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to embrace those moments even more um, because it's not a given. They're going to be there every day. Well, that's nice. That's a, that is a silver lining to uh, what has been an incredibly dark cloud, but it's always nice to be reaffirmed in, 
your personhood and you know to know that the things you care about you still care about uh yeah for sure yeah it's, it's also been kind of cool like just, uh, to observe um how everybody's sort of been riding this wave and um you know so besides just what we what we talk about on the phone and and, and chat about and zoom um it's been actually kind of a cool time for me to explore other creative realms that um i've never i've in some cases always wanted to do, but never had the time to do it. Um, so uh, one thing that I've gotten, well, actually two things I've gotten into. Um, uh, it started just as a joke in a way. Um, uh, I think it was like maybe the second week of like of when, when all the dominoes fell and like the rug got pulled out from underneath all of us with, with COVID in March of last year. I, I basically, I, I made like a lemon a lemon bundt cake or something. And I said, when life gives, gives you lemons, you make a Kentucky bourbon lemon bundt cake, <laughs> you know? And I did it on Sunday and I called it like Sunday stress baking. And I'm now at week 51. <laughs> doing wow. This every Sunday. <laughs> um, making, like, I, I, most of my recipes are coming from the New York Times cooking app. And uh, I just find really yummy looking and tasting recipes. And, and I've been posting those every Sunday for the last 50, 51 weeks. So this next Sunday will be 50, week 52. Um, I'm not sure if I'll keep on going with it, but I've, it's been a fun, fun thing for me to do. The other thing that I've been doing um, is actually something that my mom was really passionate about when she was younger. Um, my very first memory uh, as, a, as a baby was um, sitting next to my mom's feet on the floor. She was sitting at a potter's wheel and it was at that time it was a throw like a, a potter's wheel that you kick, and so I was next to her, um, watching her kick this this wheel, and she was and I remember looking up and watching her work with the clay, and seeing her hands working with it. So I've always been been drawn to pottery, and um, you know as, as I, I've always collected it. I've, I've whenever I go to art shows, I'm almost always coming back with a piece of pottery. Um, I've, but I've never been able to take a class because, uh, you know, it usually involves you being, you know, able to show up like on a, uh, like every Wednesday, like for the next six weeks and, and touring musicians can't really do that. Um, but when you're in, uh, you know, in quarantine, you can. <laughs> so, so I've taken, I think, three pottery classes um, through one of the local pottery shops here in Brooklyn. And I've been having a blast Um you know, putting my creative, like just my creative tendencies to use in a different uh, medium. Um, and it's, it's really like very, uh, in a way meditative because it's just, um, once you get the, the clay centered, it's, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's slow movement. It's very lyrical in the way that you throw pottery. Um, and yeah, it's just like that cyclical motion. It's just a very meditative thing. So I've been having a really good time with that as well. that's wonderful. Just last night I was, uh, this is tangential, but it will give me a a chance to be a nerd. I was watching an episode of Stargate SG-1, which is a show that I really love, and there's uh, an episode in which two of the main characters get caught in a time loop and they are living this one like 12 hour period over and over again. And at one point, one of the characters who is unaware that they're caught in a loop says, boy, if that happened to me, I would just do whatever because there'd be no consequences. And so they stop trying to figure out how to get out of the loop. And one of the scenes is one of the, these two main characters who are like these, you know, kind of tough guy warriors. And he's teaching himself to make uh, bulls on a potter's wheel oh like God. in the base where they're stationed <laughs> and uh, you know the first one falls completely apart and then there's a bunch oh, of yeah. you know little like four second scenes of them doing various things and then they come back and he's made a beautiful bowl you know 
<laughs> oh my god yeah i wish it happened that fast <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> wow yeah, yeah they i had a cut few out a weeks lot before that happened steps. yeah <laughs> As we've been talking, uh, as is the case in every show, there have been uh, little bits of music kind of woven throughout. And one of the things that people have heard is uh, an excerpt of you playing with Esperanza Spalding, with whom you toured um, for a couple of years extensively. Can you talk about that experience? Yeah, um, I'm actually not on uh, the violence on the recording, but um, I-, I was brought on board to um, to be part of the touring band with Esperanza uh, for the Project Chamber Music Society. So that was from 2010 until uh, 2012. And at the time, I mean, she was she was definitely well known in the jazz circle, but on an international scale, she was you know she she wasn't really. Um, who she is now. And this album was kind of what broke, um, broke her out into more of the, more of a spotlight. Um, I think it was, I think thinking back about that now, I was brought on board to do, I think it was maybe about 10 or 15 shows in the U S this was right after the album had been released. And, um, and then there was a European tour I wasn't able to do. Um, but those were kind of like the first couple things that were, um, in the book. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it, they kept on adding tour dates and more tour dates and the concert, like the audiences were getting bigger and bigger. And, and then in, uh, in February, this was like maybe about five months of touring we'd done, um, the Grammys came along and she was nominated in the best new artist category. And she was nominated alongside Justin Bieber. And we were like, Oh yeah, well it's, it's awesome that she was nominated, but that's like, that's as far as it's going to go. <laughs> and I was out having burgers with, um, with uh, one of the members of the band and our phone simultaneously started buzzing off the tables. And we're like, what's going on? And, um, and our friends were saying, she won, she won. And, Luckily, we left for Japan the next day to do a, a week at the um, at the Blue Note Tokyo because uh, she, I mean, she got yeah. I mean, it, it, there was so much media attention placed on her after that win, and um, you know, our, the tours definitely started like getting added on after that. Um, so it was a pretty crazy ride, but you know, the the it was an amazing, absolutely amazing two years touring with her and those musicians. Um, that whole band has become a very, uh, very big part of my musical family. Um, we just, we all bonded in a way that I don't think is typical for a band to bond. 
um, we just, I don't know, there was just a really amazing connection that, that existed there between, between all of us. And um, yeah, it was a, 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 just a thrilling two years. We toured, I think we hit five continents and um, you know, we, we did all like North America and Canada and, and some stuff in South America and Africa and Europe and Japan. And yeah, I mean, we saw the world with these people and, and Esperanza at the helm she was such an, is such an inspiring musician. And, you know, she always kept us on our toes, you know, every show we, there was never a sense of, of um, uh, repetition, you know, even though we were playing the same set every night, we approached those teams so differently each time. And that was from her inspiring us to do it just based on the person she is and and how she approaches music. So having that um, sort of uh, that thrill uh, on stage every night was something that has uh, definitely been a very um, lasting memory for me looking back on that. It was hard to believe it was 10 years ago now. I mean, I, Again, I mean, I, th- I see these people like in the band like a lot, and <laughs> I, mean, I haven't obviously over the last year, but you know, we get together for holidays and you know have a um, you know we see each other regularly. Um, but yeah, it's hard to believe that was ten years ago now at this point. I always tell everyone that uh, everything is either the other day or ten years ago. Those are my only two yep. concepts <laughs> of time. I have no idea when anything occurred. <laughs> One more break from the interview to thank the people who make this show possible, starting with the members who support it, and also the Respect Sextet at respectsextet.com for the theme music, and Dave Rabel for the logo. Chuck Ingersoll is the voice of the intro. You can hire him at hearchucknow.com. Follow the Jazz Session on Twitter at jazzsesh, J-A-Z-Z-S-E-S-H, and on Instagram at thejazzsession. Take a second, if you would, to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, which helps it move up the rankings, making it easier for other people to find the jazz session. If you'd like to keep up to date on my podcast, my poetry, my travels in a van, and more, subscribe to my twice-monthly newsletter. Just go to thejazzsession.com and click on the newsletter link. And as I just mentioned, I am, in fact, living and traveling the country in a 1999 Dodge Caravan named Lenny. If you want to follow those travels and learn more about what I'm doing out here on the road, you can go to Instagram.com slash Vanarchism, Instagram.com slash Vanarchism, which is the word anarchism with a V at the beginning, and links to everything else are there. Now, back to the episode.
Before we draw to a close, uh, speaking of experiences, a couple, I guess it's 2018, so three years ago now, um, you were nominated for a Grammy, which also seems like one of those life experiences that uh, I can't imagine the, the emotional nature of. So tell me about it. Tell me what that was like. Well, it was a total shock. <laughs> like literally, I was I had no um, no expectation of this whatsoever. So the project um, that got the nomination, like so, it's it's a uh, a big band project run by um, led by Chuck Owen. He's a fantastic pianist, uh, composer, arranger based out of Tampa, and um, he has a band that he's been leading for for years called the Jazz Surge. And um, he had invited me to take part in um, their their new project at the time, which was called Whispers in the Wind. And uh, yeah, so I was brought on board to basically be a part of his big band, which I love. I, that's one of the things I adore doing is is playing as part of a big band. It's been something I've done you know since high school and did it throughout college. And I just I love blending the violin in with the horns and sort of being part of that that power. Uh, so. So he brought me on board to do that. Um, the band recorded the tracks uh, together, I think over the course of a week or so. And then he brought me and a few other people uh, to, brought them, us in to overdub our parts. It was just logistically wasn't going to be possible to get us all in the same room at the same time. So it was like Randy, uh, Randy Brecker, uh, Gregoire Marais on, on harmonica, um, Randy, of course, on trumpet. And then he brought me in. Uh, to play uh, violin, and I think Corey Christiansen on guitar, who's out in Salt Lake City. Uh, anyway, so yeah, any you know, brought up my parts, played through those, recorded them, um, and he had a couple solos written into the charts for me as well. So you know, it was a, it was a recording gig. You know, um, it wasn't anything that I. I mean, it was, I, the music was amazing, but it's like you know, you you do a recording session and then you know you leave and you don't know when the album will be released or what might come of it. But you you, you embrace the the joy of the experience and then you go on to your next gig. <laughs> sure. And um, so he reached out to me a little while later and he said, "Hey, um, I'm you know I, I, I'm going to be submitting some things for the Grammys and I was wondering if you'd be okay with me submitting your solo." And I was like, oh, my God, sure, that would be amazing. Thank you. Um, and I, that enough was like enough of an honor just that he would think uh, to, to throw my, my solo into the, into the, um, into the ring for this. Um, but the, I, I thought that was definitely the end of it because there are hundreds and hundreds of solos that get submitted for, for the Grammys. So, um, so I just I I was just grateful that he thought you know thought to include my solo in the mix. Um, yeah, and so then November of uh, 2017, I had just finished teaching my students in Berkeley. It was a Tuesday morning, and um, I'm in line to get a coffee. And um, uh, the drummer in my band, Jared, he texts me and he says, "Sarah, congratulations! We're so excited for you." And I was like, "What?" <laughs> I would, and I, I would have said, like, what are you talking about? And he's like, you don't know? I was like, no. And so he sent me the link to um, the results of the, the Grammy announcements. Um, and I scroll through, and under Best Improvised Solo, I see my name along with you know, four other people. And I was like, I started screaming in the coffee shop. And people were flipping out, like, what is wrong with this girl? <laughs> So yeah, I had no, I was, it was like total blindsided thing. I, I just, I had no expectation, no, um, yeah, no awareness that this was going on. And um, so yeah, to, so the thrill of, of being nominated, like it was literally like me screaming in the coffee shop and being like just in total disbelief about it. 
So yeah, it was it was an amazing experience. Like you know, getting to to do like part of the Grammy, um, you know, the Grammy uh, uh, events, you know, the nomination reception, and and it was happening in New York, which was the first time it had happened in New York in decades. So that was you know, I took <laughs> it was actually really funny. So it was me and Jody Ruddage and Alan Ferber. Alan had been nominated for a Grammy as well. So Alan Ferber. Uh, Jody Reddish, her, his wife, um, our, our my my mom, and my boyfriend, and um, Jody's parents and Alan's parents. The easiest way for us to get to Madison Square Garden was to take the subway. So we're <laughs> totally dressed up in our gowns and our like all of our our Grammy bling, and are on the subway going from you know, 90 86th street down to to uh <laughs> madison like people were looking at us like what is up <laughs> i'm sure that's how all the other nominees got there that day too right <laughs> <laughs> uh but it was amazing i mean i had a chance to meet so many heroes of mine like i had a chance to hang like john mclaughlin was the uh, was the nominee in, in that category that got he won the won the, the grammy and i had a chance to hang with him and like talk wow. with him for a while and you know just uh it was yeah, it was just incredible. Um, so it, it still kind of seems like a dream, um, the whole the fact that the whole thing happened. But uh, yeah, I, I definitely um, it's a cherished memory for me. how much of that story or maybe a better way to put it is I love how little of that story was in any way calculated by you uh, well essentially none of it uh, the only the only part of it that involved you doing anything other than playing was the was uh, being asked is it okay if I submit you and you saying oh yeah sure yeah. and then kind of for almost forgetting that it happened and then getting nominated it's it's like a you know, when when folks are really gunning for it, it's one kind of thing. And then when people are barely aware that it's actually happened and they've been nominated, it's a different kind of story. And it's a really lovely one that I quite enjoy. Oh, yeah, it's I, it's yeah, I think that's what in a way what kind of um, added to the magic of the whole thing. 
um, was just because, yeah, there was, there was no expectation whatsoever that it was going to happen. And the fact that it did, it was just like I'm pinching myself. Like, is this really happening? Am I like in a dream? What's going on? Yeah. So I definitely was, was taking the moment and like, I was embracing every, every single moment of that, of that weekend, just, you know, yeah, just being so grateful that it was happening. So. The drummer who texted you also got to be, uh, the person. And I think this happens more in our instant communication, social media age than it did back in the day. The person who texts you thinking they're the 400th person to congratulate you, but right. is actually the first <laughs> and is the way you find out that something happens. So that's kind of lovely as was, well. Oh, it's so perfect though. You know, cause he, like he's been a big, uh, Jared Shonick. He's from, yeah. Oh, is that who it was? Group. Yeah, oh my god! Jared. Oh yeah, I've known Jared for a thousand years since he was a a kid oh. at Eastman, and he's been on this show many times. So, oh my gosh, yeah, no, he's great. He's one of my one of my brothers, and um, him and Ike Sturm and, and Jesse Lewis, they're uh, they're the guys in my band, and they they're my big brothers. And um, yeah, so it was it was really just great. He's he's always been such a huge um supporter of me, and just like kind of nudging me forward on getting things done. Like I have a new album that I've recorded uh, that. I, been put on the back burner because of covid like it's all mixed it's all mastered and it's um it's basically ready to go i've got the photographs and things done i just have to kind of decide when to release it and and he was actually kind of the instigator in the whole thing he's like sarah we need to record your your stuff we need to get this out there and and people hear it and i'm like oh i'm kind of nervous and self-doubting in self-doubting mode but he has always been that person who's been like sarah let's do it let's do it and just give me that little, that little nudge. And, um, so the fact that he was the person who, um, told me that, that I got the Grammy nomination, it was, it was really kind of perfect. Uh, so just to make another comment on the, your non calculating nature, we're 40 minutes into this conversation and you've only just mentioned (laughs) that you've recorded an entire album that just isn't out yet. So look, I mean, I'm not your agent or anything, but if I were telling you how to self-promote, I'd probably tell you to lead with there's an entire album of material that hasn't come out yet that you'll get to hear at some point. I know. I am I am the worst person at self-promotion, as you can now tell. Um, I don't know. It's And, and I, it's the idea of having to, to kind of like become your own CEO and sell yourself in that way, and I've just never been good at it. Um, but it's what you need to do. So yes, I have an album that, um, I, I, I haven't recorded a solo CD since 2006. Right. So it's been a long time. Um, yeah. So I, I finally, you know, with the nudging of, of Jared and Ike and Jesse and, and my family and, you know, just close friends, they're like, you need to do this there. You've got, you've got some amazing repertoire you put together and you need to, to record it. So I was like, all right, fine. <laughs> so, um, I recorded it in April of 2019 and, um, yeah, did it over with at, at Bunker Studios with Aaron Navisi, who's just great. Um, so he, uh, did the a the the audio capture and and um, and also did the mixing and um, yeah it's been mastered and um, and Jeff Levinson uh, has, is the producer I met him uh, Jeff through actually he was um, one of the figures central in um, in getting me uh, helping me get connected with Esperanza and getting that uh, getting me on that tour. Um, so, uh, but then I got to work with him quite a lot through Rosanna Vitro. Um, he produced her uh, Randy Newman project, with, which got a Grammy nomination back in the back in the day. And um, so, yeah, Jeff is is um, 
producing my album and um, has been a really uh, just a big supporter of it as well. And uh, yeah, you know, it's, the hope had been that it was going to be released um, in, uh, in, well, in 2020 sometime. Like, we hadn't set a date or anything, but the, um, yeah, the, uh, the, it had been planned to have it released in, um, in, you know, in that calendar year. And then when COVID happened, when, you know, mid-March, when, you know, everything just sort of collapsed, it was like, well, I, I can't really release this project unless I can do some touring. I, just, I don't feel, I, I don't feel great about it, you know, especially with these guys having been such big supporters. I want to have the chance to actually get out on the road and tour with them, you know? And especially if um, you released an album every year, it would be one thing, but you don't. And so releasing yeah. your first album in that long and not getting a chance to play any of the music live, exactly. I totally agree with you. It would be, it's, it, w- it would yeah. be an odd choice, I think. Yeah. Yeah, so the decision was made, and we'll just, we'll just put it on the back burner until it makes sense to, to release it. And um, so, you know, now the fact that, you know, the vaccines are starting to roll out, and there's, I mean, there's definitely some optimism. Um, I'm sure you, you sense it, too, that there's like, you know, there's actually potentially an end in sight to this. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm starting to you know, starting to think about um, what that means for the release of the album. Um, Jeff and I are going to be talking here soon about that and kind of see what, um, yeah, what, what release plans might be in the works for all this. But yeah, I'm excited. You know, I I don't do a lot of composing, but I did, um, I did do a couple for this album and I've got some, a piece of Ike's on here, Ike's terms. Um, and I've got some arrangements that have been done. And actually, I have a, a song that Nadia Na- Nordhaus wrote for me. Um, it's actually going to be the first track on the album. She wrote this beautiful piece called South Shore, uh, which is, I, I told her one of the things that I loved to do when I was when I was younger was to take these long bicycle rides with my dad. Like we were both big cyclists, like doing these long, these long tours and like 50, 60 mile tours. And um, so I said, one of the things that I, I love to do with my dad and I miss doing with him is doing these bike rides along this road called South Shore. And so she wrote this piece for me with that kind of image in mind of, of us riding along the lake. And um, yeah, it's the guys and I love playing it and it's, it's going to be the, the first track on the album. So I'm excited to share it with everybody. Well, everybody that you just mentioned except Jesse has at least one and in most cases multiple episodes of this show. So I encourage folks to go into the archives and find uh, Jared and Ike and uh, Nadia. And now, finally, after uh, a ridiculous number of years of having done this show without this being true, I can finally say my guest for this episode uh, has been Sarah Caswell, (laughs) who uh, is a really wonderful violinist, but maybe even exceeds that skill at her skill at burying the lead so uh i i I, I gotta say it's the first interview i've ever conducted where the mention of someone's new album was the last five minutes uh no please don't apologize it's lovely i think it just speaks exactly to who you are as a human being and there's nothing but good uh, to come out of that because I have no financial stake in your album. If I did, I'd have a very different opinion, <laughs> but, but since I don't, I can just enjoy that. You're, you're great to talk about the craft before you worry about talking about your own stuff. And I think that's oh. admirable. Uh, Sarah, no, it's been you. just an absolute pleasure. And it now sounds like uh, we'll go from a periodicity of once every 14 years to hopefully 
now again within a year or so because when this album comes out i want you to come on and talk about it uh at at length and as the actual focus of the interview so thanks so much for being on the show i really really love talking to you oh that was great talking with you thanks for having me as a guest Thanks to my guest this week, Sarah Caswell. If you value what you just heard, please become a member for five or ten bucks a month at thejazzsession.com slash join. And then come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session. Bye. Bye.